pushing through. It is a Tuesday afternoon in Los Angeles. My name is Dave Frazier. I am joined as always by BJ Armstrong. And today we have a very special guest from the Wasserman world. It is the COO. It is the EVP of team sports at Wasserman. It is a man that has uh, been all around in the world of basketball. He's, he's been at Arizona. He's been with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And now he's back home with Wasserman. And that, of course, is Jason Rainey. Jason, welcome to the program. Welcome to Pushing Through. And thanks for coming on. Thank you. Glad to be here. We, uh, we we live in a world right now where there are no sports really uh, going on, or at least the four major sports that we know uh, in, in North America is, is our top sports. We obviously know about the NBA uh, being postponed right now. So, Jason, before we get into uh, sort of your personal story and some larger topics, I first just want to talk about uh, the NBA and sort of your first uh, thoughts as this obviously uh, is something we've never seen before. Yeah, and I hope we never see it again. I mean, I think um... – the unique thing about what we're all facing is there's not a playbook. So there, you know, there's not something anyone can dust off and say, this is how you handle this. Yeah. Um, and so everyone's sort of making it up as they go. Uh, and I thought the NBA has done a, a remarkable job sort of leading that truthfully. And um, I think that's a great sign for, you know, the health of the league and the future success of the league, uh, despite the fact that no one has a crystal ball here and, and can predict where we'll be probably three months from now. Um, I do feel like, uh, you know, they'll have a plan ready for when that happens. And you've, yeah, and Jason, you've seen both sides uh, of the equation when we talk about, you know, the NBA from a team side and the NBA from an agent side. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, there's a misconception about, you know, all that goes into uh, the, the agent world from, you know, dealing with, you know, most people may say it's negotiations, but there's, you know, the family aspect that we know uh, that goes into it. There's, you know, the training regimen. There, there's so many layers that go into the agent side. And then, of course, on, on the team side, uh, there's a lot of layers that go into it as well. But just from the agent perspective dealing with your clients what, what is one thing that you've seen as far as uh the fallout uh is probably the best term we can say uh due to uh, the COVID-19 crisis that's going on right now I think it's gone in stages um and BJ can speak to this too because he lived it with us I mean the first stage was the I would call the Utah Jazz Oklahoma City Thunder game that did not happen and mm-hmm. um you know we had clients on both teams um and you immediately got reaction from them and that continued that night and it spread to the Sacramento Kings uh, organization, you know, within an hour and, and those players in that, uh, in that game, you know, decided they wanted to request the ability not to play. And there was a lot of conversations about that. And then each day it kind of grew from there, um, both in the NBA world, but then, you know, we work in every we work in every major sport around the world. And so you quickly saw it, the domino effect um, uh, from you know, NBA, then going into uh, NHL and soccer and baseball. And um, now, most recently today, the postponement of the Olympics. So I think that timeline has been fascinating to live and watch. And in the early days, a lot of it was just what does this mean for me, for clients, uh, logistics, uh, you know, dealing with unions and leagues and teams on everything from where do players live, where do they work out, how they get fed, what are the rules around that, um, how is health insurance working? Uh, you see conversations around salaries, um, you know, and not every league is the same. So, for example, 
you know, NBA was paying their, their players' salaries, but Major League Baseball doesn't usually start paying until the season starts. So those players did not get the benefit of having checks uh, start to come in uh, regularly. NFL is, was in the middle of free agency, and you know some players were fortunate enough to get their physicals done and be returning to their existing teams and potentially get their signing bonuses, and, and others are stuck waiting to take a, a medical exam when travel restrictions and contact rules are, are lifted. So uh, I think everyone has lived it in a very personal and local, but at the same time, global way, which uh, I, I've tried to liken and compare to people who ask like that we haven't had something like that. You know, when, when people were focused on, you know, a regional disaster or a specific industry um, that was hurt or suffering, it's just totally different and everything you're seeing here where everybody, every sport, um, almost every industry is being impacted. And then everybody on some very personal local level is being impacted. Uh, that's a fascinating and, and very challenging time, I think, for all of us. You know, Jason, one of, one of the things that, you know, you as you and I talk and been working together for many of years is that, you know, here living in America, we, we tend to see things from this point of view but our, you and I both have clients, we both share clients that we work with that are abroad. And when this happened, I mean, you and I were talking to leagues and teams and people all around the world. Can you share with us and our listeners the impact, you know, the global impact that this had? And what are some of the stories that you can share that you had to do not only here, but your clients who are positioned or playing all over the world and what that meant and how that was handled, you know, internally um, with some of our agents and some of the clients that you, that you work with directly. Yeah. I, and I think it's, you know, sport by sport. So if you, if we stick on the sort of the basketball first, uh, you have international players um, playing in the NBA who, who had people impacted in Europe where I think the, the initial outbreak uh, was faster and, and earlier than the U S and so they started to sort of feel that pinch first um, when it started to really spread. But even before that we had clients in China who, who were, were impacted. Um, I think the, you, we've had harrowing stories of people getting like the last flight out or running to the airport. Uh, we had one client who literally flew back to a country and then got back on the plane when he landed and flew back to the U.S. We've had agents who've had to work with the State Department to get people cleared. Um, you know, they've had to figure out what airports to fly into as flights are rerouted or uh, forced into places where you can get tested. Um, I think going you know, Americans playing internationally, there's been a lot of stories written on that, but I, I do think that is an under underestimated impact, uh, not as well known, and um, their leagues have been totally turned upside down uh, from a basketball perspective. I think, you know, NBA international players, a lot of requests to go home, NBA and the union agreed to keep those guys in North America for a variety of reasons. But I think you've started to see some players depart on their own and because they felt like it was too important to be home. Um, even on Sunday, you know, we had a client, a uh, Croatian NBA player, and 
it wasn't reported a lot, but Croatia had a 5.3 earthquake in their capital on Sunday morning. Um, so if you imagine they're already in lockdown, their virus is spreading in Europe, and then you have a massive earthquake uh, that knocks over buildings, hospitals, and, and now that client is trying to raise dollars, um, which for him, once again, it come, comes back to that local but global. Like if he's trying to raise money to fund his issues uh, and support his causes in Croatia, but when you go ask the other clients who are you know dealing with the, their causes somewhere else, it's in a different country, it's something else, a uh, different, different um, need that, that they're facing. Um, I think on the soccer side, you know, we've had a ton of Premier League clients impacted by this, Champions League clients, uh, you know, initially were playing uh, and thought they could continue to play um, and then having to be sent home. We had clients playing in Turkey, you know, until probably last week they were playing games. And then, you know, as recently as a few days ago, players in that league and staff and managers tested positive and they realized maybe they shouldn't have been doing that. Um, so I think it's, it's really, it's been an overwhelming experience for a lot of people, uh, that, that it seems to be settling in. Like, I think this was the first mm -hmm. week that people have found sort of their new normal. Um, they've gotten to where they needed to go. They've gotten past that initial stressful period. And hopefully that turns into some positive thinking as people are less focused on, on just solving a chaotic cancellation and more focused on how do we um, create something good from this. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, Jason, I mean, you mentioned obviously the, 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 the global impact and the reach of this whole situation. I, I also want to point out as we, you know, as you manage all these athletes and all, you know, these, these guys that are, that have such a platform and there's a beauty in all of this. in, in the sense that we do have the internet, we do have social media, we do have channels um, for those stories to be shared by those athletes. I mean, have you seen, uh, a rise in, you know, some of the some of the players and talents and, and athletes that you know that have been able to use maybe a podcast or use, you know, their Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever they use uh, these days to to sort of share their stories and share their messages and to share, you know, where you can donate uh, relief to their individual causes and things like that. Have you seen an uptick in that world? Yeah, it's increased for sure. I think it's still I think there's still more to come on that. Because I do think people were just so busy over the last 10 to 14 days getting organized and just being safe and healthy that that wasn't the initial reaction. Um, so I think I think this week is everyone is starting to truly get organized around content and social. Yep. Um, and it took people about a week to 10 days to ramp up to that. So in the beginning, I think you you saw people testing. A lot of it was more um, inspirational, hopeful, whether it was, you know, entertainment, celebrities, musicians. I think you also learned very quickly that uh, it's a, literally changes day by day on how content is received by the public mm -hmm. right now. And you could easily miss the mark and do something that, that wasn't appreciated. Um, I don't want to cite examples here, but people probably could find those pretty quickly. Uh, yes. You know, people have missed the mark and have gotten, you know, uh, dinged for it and criticized. And others have, have been successful and they've gone quickly you know, viral. So uh, I think it's a very, um, it's an opportunity moment, but you have to be smart and careful with how you execute it. And you've got to be making, you know, sure that, hey, you've thought through your consequences of what you're about to do. 
um, if you're trying to push the limits a little bit. Uh, podcasts, I think, are are probably the last thing to come because it takes a little bit of planning and and structure. And you guys do a great job and yours is up and running and um, you are sort of ready for the moment. But anyone who hasn't podcasted before, I think you guys can speak to that, uh, which I would love to hear, you know, like what are the steps they got to do? How quickly can they do it? You know, what is the daily planning that goes into it? There's just it's not as easy as just turning on the mic for most athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and BJ can attest, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, we've been working over the past two months, you know, getting our, you know, finding our footing on this podcast. And, you know, we kind of, the one thing that we have here is that it's supposed to be a free flowing conversation. It's supposed to be a, a, an outlet of some sort of release, but like you're saying, Jason, I mean, for, for someone that hasn't sat down in front of a microphone and they're used to, you know, going to their normal gym session and preparing for whatever sport that they dominate in, it, it's a different environment, a different Avenue, but it also is an impact. Avenue, and it's a place where uh, you know you can share your own stories and your own uh, you know sort of sort of journey for the people that really want to tune in and, and listen to that journey. And I think that's what uh, that's what attracted BJ and I to this. And it also is, is a place where you can talk to someone like you and and learn about someone else's story. And then uh, you know once we start piecing the stories together, uh, we kind of get like a beautiful uh, a narrative of how this world works. And uh, I think that's at the end of the day the best case scenario for for these podcasts and uh, for these times in general. Yeah. No, it, it, you know, Jason, uh, one of the things you and I always discuss is the future of sports, right? Where is this going? And, you know, we, we've, we've seen the impact of television on the business of sports. If you had to look into your crystal ball now and, and you and I discussed this, but I want you to share with us here on the pushing through podcast, you know, television isn't what it used to be, right? I mean, we, we, even though a large percentage of the revenue in basketball is still coming from basketball, I mean, from television, if you had to look into the business in the future and especially now going through this uh, scenario, where do you think the sport lives? Will it continue on television? Will it continue to some type of streaming? Will it will teams eventually have their own networks? What do you think this situation that we're currently dealing with? How do you think this is going to affect sports? And how do you think it's going to look, let's say, five years from the, from today? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um I do think we have a little bit of a runway on this. Most of the, you know, league deals are under contract. The NFL is is starting negotiations on a big one um, that is is important to set the standard for what the next ten years are going to look like. You know, when they do their deal, if they carve it up or change it, it'll lead other leagues to to down that path. Um, I think what we talked about and what I I I always emphasize when this topic comes up is that live sports are st is still one of the very few content opportunities um, to capture people's imagination and engagement um, because it's unpredictable, it's inspiring, it creates a fandom around it. Uh, and, you know, they're running, and when I say they, sort of distributors are, are running out of ways to do that. And I think you've seen different waves that they've come up with to have unpredictable content, reality shows, but you know, a lot of those ended up being scripted and 
they, you know, whether it's American Idol or others, they've kind of come and gone in different, different uh, formats. Live sports has stayed the same. And I think it's just going to come down to where it's distributed uh, because I don't see the demand for that unpredictability and that, uh, you know, passionate content to go away from people. It's still, it's still very much in their lives and they want it. It's just, how are they going to get it? And then I go to, you know, if the demand is still going to be there, then you've got to go to how do you monetize it? And that's where I have Mm -hmm. faith that, you know, these leagues are really good at, at coming up with new ways to monetize. Um, and they will be able to lead their broadcast partners and new distributors, uh, whether it's streaming uh, or like you said, maybe they come up with a new structure for a, uh, a regional network or a team owned platform that they can monetize to the extent you're currently in a moment where there's a disincentive to create new distribution mechanisms because you know, the leagues want to protect their partners and their broadcast partners right now because they they're paying them so much money and the broadcast partners should demand that and they're expecting it. But at some point that tide has to shift towards new ideas. And I think we're in the middle of that. Um, and when that happens, it's no different than, you know, Elon Musk coming along and creating Tesla or, you know, pushing an industry to be better, do different, that will happen in this space someone will come along and set a new standard and be able to pay for it uh, at, a, at a market value that is still an increase. Little, you know, if you go to little basketball conferences in college that are renewing TV deals, they're still getting more than they got on their last deal. So if you take a look at the NFL, the NFL is going to get more than they got on their last deal. As long as that value keeps increasing, then the value of these franchises and and leagues and properties that go around them are going to continue to increase. It's just going to be a matter of where and how are they going to slice that up. But I'm confident that the leagues and their partners are, are very talented. They're very thoughtful. They're ahead of this and they're going to know how to do that to maximize dollars for players and owners and everybody else. Do, do you, do you think, let's say in the next five years or so, you and I are doing more and more travel abroad, right? Especially in basketball, you know, soccer is clearly an international sport, you know, American football, it is what it is, you know, major league baseball. Do you think in the next five years or so, or do you think in this lifetime that we will see NBA franchises abroad? For sure in our lifetime. I think for sure in our lifetime, um, five years, no, I think this, this virus stuff is going to have an economic impact. It'll slow down some of that. Um, but if you see leagues dabbling in places like London or Mexico city or success in Canada, um, I think that is going to continue to set a blueprint for what they can be successful at. And then in our lifetime, you have to imagine that travel is going to get easier and faster by the time, you know, we're dead and our kids are, are doing this, you know? So I assume that it all goes hand in hand, right? If, if airplanes can get from point A to point B faster, they can figure out a way to, you know, support recovery for the athletes on their travel, um, better. And, uh, they figured out a blueprint to, to be successful in these markets. Um, 
then that will all come together at one time and we will continue to see that expansion. In the meantime, I just think all the leagues are focused on expanding viewership for until they have a local franchise, you know, and if they can continue to grab viewers internationally, it continues to grow the pie that uh, pays for almost everything. Do you think, uh, Jason, do you think like a team like the Raptors, you know, in Toronto winning an NBA championship, do you think that, you know, kind of further pushes the agenda to make this more of an international, uh, you know, situation with the NBA, with the Mexico City or even going back to a Vancouver or to somewhere, you know, that seems more palatable like uh, London? Does does that help with the push or is that just like, uh, you know, really a non sequitur at the end of the day? I, yeah, I th- absolutely think it helps. It'll it'll demonstrate both a perf- you know like an uh, an athletic success, a performance success, and a financial success, right? Yep. That I would argue with anyone till I was blue in the face that the Raptors <laughs> benefited tremendously financially from from all of that, and you know MLSC is an extremely successful sports uh, company. So the fact that they had that in their backyard, they would they would invest again and again and again to do that. Um, but it all came together through a little bit of luck and opportunity and, and work for them. So it doesn't necessarily mean it'll work elsewhere, but it is a, I think a small success story. You can tell the real fundamentals for it is, is you've got to have a great owner in a, in a international city that has deep pockets is willing to Mm -hmm. grow. You've got to have a great facility. You've got to have a market that can support it economically through, you know, good times and bad. Um, and you have to have a big population center just because not everyone's going to be a basketball fan or a soccer fan or a baseball fan. Like you've got to be able to draw on enough of them. Um, so hopefully that it all comes together in our lifetime and we do see more, um, not a lot more, but definitely one, two, three, four in each league would be great. You know, Jason, we, we haven't spoke a lot and you, you, you more than me working with the women's athletes. How have you seen the interest, you know, we've seen in soccer, we've seen in the WNBA, how has that business growing? And do you see it continuing to grow as the popularity of women's sports and women's athletics continues to grow here and abroad? So the answer is yes, categorically, but I think the behind the answer is sort of the more interesting piece of it. We have tremendous agents here that work in women's sports. Um, Lindsay Kagawa, Cola, Stan Levy, a number of others that are, are very good at what they do, and they have been for a really long time. Um, but I think this is the first time that I think we've all collectively seen a push and a surge that is that it seems to be sustainable around women's sports um, versus sort of a moment in time. Uh, and that's really exciting. Um, and what I mean by that is if you go back and you look at, let's say when Mia Hamm had her signature moment uh, as a USA women's national team player, and you had a ton of attention on that in the media and with fans, a bunch of sponsors and brands got behind it. Um, she was sort of one of the first to, to create a global movement um, and it and the business sort of peaked and then went down again. So it almost seemed like you needed to have these transcendent figures that could leave, lead a movement and carry it. But as they left the sport, it sort of left with them. Um, you know, in the last two years, I'd say the first time we've seen at least this sustained movement 
around more than just one transcendent figure um, around all uh, women athletes uh, and focusing on each of the high performers. It doesn't matter what sport it is. And that seemed to be, you know, carrying past the World Cup and onto the Olympics and into things like the WNBA redoing their their CBA in a positive way. And you're seeing professional sports leagues start to percolate. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the coronavirus impact here will probably slow some of that. But I do think it's in a really cool moment where women's sport has an opportunity to truly um, become a sustainable model uh, financially um, for the athletes, as well as, you know, the properties and the business owners and uh, the brands that want to put behind it. And I think that just, you know, naturally happened through a conversion of a lot of things. You know, there was a, a culture shift. There was um, both negative and positive things that that uh, were brought to light um, around women. And there was a really big rallying cry that then was paired with, uh, you know, unbelievable athletic performances, whether it was Megan Rapinoe, um, or others that, that really created a really cool convergence that seems to be continuing. Uh, and I believe that that will, and so do our agents, that that's going to continue for a while. So we, we ended up launching a brand called the collective around it to be able to, um, demonstrate our success in that space and, and speak to women and, and fans who who really follow um, uh, women and, and their success, successes in sport. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's great info to know, Jason. And uh, you know, we would love to to have you back on and continue that conversation. And uh, and obviously, you know, we'll keep uh, keep an eye on uh, all that as it grows. Again, that was the collective, and you know, we do believe that uh, you know the women's sports uh, world is growing uh, in the moment. Before we get out of here, Jason, I just wanted to ask uh, one thing. You're from Oklahoma. Uh, you know, you went back there to work with the Thunder, came back to LA. Is there anything that you miss about Oklahoma? Is there one thing about Oklahoma that the world needs to know to, to set the record straight about how great of a place? Oh, yeah, I got a lot of stuff about Oklahoma. I'd like to set the record straight on so we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, I love Oklahoma. I mean, I I was born in Arizona. I was born in Tucson, so I love Arizona, too. Um, What do I miss? Uh, It's a great place to raise a family. There's uh, unbelievable lakes. There's actually a great, I think... uh, fact about oklahoma having the most man-made lakes i think of any state in the u.s um don't quote me on that what about the food you you, you, every time we go together we always we always end up eating that's right and i would say the barbecue is (laughs) underappreciated it's one of the few places that you can get smoked bologna and if i know someone who's (laughs) who's eating smoked bologna i know that they're from oklahoma or know someone from oklahoma because it's hard to find that on a menu anywhere else well, there you have it. We uh, we'll have some smoke bologna burgers uh, at some point together. And uh, Jason Rainey, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back next week on Pushing Through. Uh-huh.